Hi, this is Jim Lesser from BBDO San Francisco, and welcome to another episode of the Fog City Chronicles. Today's interview is part of a series called The Women Who Run BBDO. Female leadership is such an important topic in our industry right now, and at BBDO, I've been very lucky to work with uh, some of the most dynamic leaders in our industry who happen to be women who are running offices and groups of offices. And I thought that if we could uh, pull their collective knowledge together, it might help to inspire the uh, female leaders of tomorrow. Today's episode is with Kirsten Flanick, um, who is the president and CEO of BBDO New York. At the time of this recording, she was actually president, has since been promoted to add the CEO title. And I think uh, she just has an incredibly inspiring personal story about her journey to uh, the, the top of the advertising industry in New York. Well, we are here in Kirsten Flanick's office, which you can tell because that's her M&M up there on the wall. Yes. Kirsten has an M&M. So today we have a very special treat. Um, since I'm here in New York with um, Kirsten Flanick, who's the president of BBDO New York. And I'm going to give you a little bit of introduction to Kirsten. So Kirsten has been the president of BBDO New York for now um, over a little over a year. Mm -hmm. But she's been at BBDO since 2006, which is when we first met. Mm -hmm. um, she has been an AdAge woman to watch in 2010. She was also listed by AdAge as one of the 100 most influential women in advertising. And that was a ever list. Not a like hundred of the year, a hundred ever. So that's pretty cool. Um, and she, on a personal level, lives in Brooklyn and has two kids and a fabulous husband um, named Barry. Yeah, very good. So that's a little introduction. So first question is, when I think of Kirsten, um, I'm gonna, I, I really want you guys to get to know Kirsten a bit because I obviously have had the opportunity to spend a lot of time with her over the years. But when I think of Kirsten, I think of someone who is very feisty and very fiery and very funny. And so I think having grown up in this area myself, I would think of you as a native New Yorker, but you're not a New Yorker. Not a native so New Yorker. So where are you from? Tell everybody. Um, it's, I am, it's funny that you're asking me this question because this is actually the question that I always ask people. It's my first interview question. I always want to know where people are from because I think from you know, kind of that conversation and asking people where they're from, you really get to start that dialogue in regards to just getting to know them. When you hear about somebody's background and where they're from, a lot of personal stories will come out and you'll be able to tell just kind of through that conversation, do I like this person? Will I, do I think this person will fit in here? So hopefully you'll like my story <laughs> and not want to fire me. Um, so I am from a very small rural town in Florida called Arcadia, Florida. It um, has about 6,000 people. It has never grown. In fact, sometimes I think it actually uh, decreases, but it is a town, it's an agricultural-based town. And um, yeah, I lived my entire life there pretty much until I left to go to college. I went to the University of Florida. I have a degree in advertising and then went right into advertising. So um, I don't know how many of you have read Lean In, but Sheryl Sandberg talks about, you know, getting on the jungle gym and jumping around and kind of getting experiences from different things. I've had the most linear path in 
advertising. I haven't really jumped around that much um, from agency to agency, and I can tell you why if you want that yeah. to be one of your questions about why, where I think the benefits of that are. Um, but yeah, I, I was, um, I was the editor of my school newspaper. I, um, uh, in order to be able to go on the big trip to New York City, my senior year in high school, we had to sell ad space in the paper, which meant we had to go around to all the local businesses and actually get people to place ads in the paper. And then because this was before the digital age, we actually then had to create the ads for the paper. <laughs> and I really liked that aspect of it. And I, I thought it, I might be good at it. So I went to the University of Florida. I went into the College of Journalism and Communication and got into advertising and majored in advertising. And here I am. And here, here you I are. Am. And here, here you I are. Am. Okay, so as part of these interviews, I always try to do a little bit of digging, a little mm. bit of investigative mm. reporting. And so I did hear about your journalism background. I also heard <laughs> that um, you had another extracurricular activity, that you were on a team of sorts. A team. As a cheerleader. Oh, I was. <laughs> I'm really going to start to become stereotypical here. <laughs> yes, I was. I was the person. I'm very small, so I was always the person on the top of the pyramid. Always yeah. the person on the top of yeah. the pyramid. I love that. I have pictures. You can what? go to my Facebook page. They're in my. Uh, they're in my section, my retro section. So there love you it. go. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Uh, the, the person on top of the pyramid is such an early metaphor. Well, for, I guess, you know, yeah. Now it's yeah, an org yeah. chart. You can just push me now right up. Now it's 700 just, people in the New York All I had to do was step in somebody's hand. And right. I was like thrown up there. <laughs> I was good. Worked out. Small but fiery. Small but fiery. Okay, yes. so let's start at the beginning career-wise. Mm -hmm. You started your career at a small agency in Florida. I did. Tell yes. us a little bit about what that was like at the beginning. You know, it was such a different time. And I, when I graduated in 1989, we were actually in a pretty serious recession. Not much unlike 2008. It was really tough. And um, so I just sent my resume to every, it never occurred to me at that time that I would leave the state of Florida. My entire family's from the state of Florida. Nobody left. Um, we all went to college in Florida. You either went to Florida or Florida State. It just, I, my mind really hadn't been open to that yet. So I sent my resume to all the agencies in Florida. I was, I was hired by a very small agency that handled their um, kind of marquee account was a grocery store. It was one of the more low-end grocery stores, but um, it's called Cash and Carry. It less doesn't premium. exist anymore. Yeah, much <laughs> less premium. But what I was by by starting at that agency, and I I started as um, an admin, as you know, somebody who, um, you know, at the time you typed out traffic reports, you did, you know, you fed your uh, your. Um, boss's meter, you went and picked up her laundry, and occasionally you got access to some things that actually were going on in regards to developing creative. And, and through that, I realized that there was a whole other world out there. I was actually in Clearwater, Florida. The big city was Tampa, Florida. And there was an agency called West Wayne, which is now called 22 Squared. And they actually had the Publix account, which is a high-end grocery store. So I was able to take my cash and carry experience and go to Publix. And and then what that did is that because that actually was a strong regional agency at the time and it was attracting a lot of creatives from the portfolio schools like Creative Circus and Portfolio Center um, in Publix, I don't know how you guys are in San Francisco. Um, None I, of them are from yeah, San Francisco. So, but Unless I don't know, if, I don't know if any of you are from, you know, um, uh, from the southeast, but Publix actually does very high production. At the time, was a 
again, you have to understand this was a long time ago, was, you know, applying kind of like strategic rigor to the work and had very high production values and, and, the, and the work was held in very high regard. So it was attracting quite a good pool of creatives. From those, from those creatives, I learned that there was a whole other world out there. I learned about agencies like Fallon and Wyden and Goodby and BBDO. And um, because I had such a strong connection with these creatives, I realized that West Wayne, which is now 22 squared, was a stepping stone for all these creatives and they encouraged it, they encouraged me that it should also be a stepping stone for myself. And they also instilled a lot of confidence in me because things that I was doing early on in my career that I didn't know benefited the creative process, they were feeding back to me. And that really like kind of, um, I think really um, understanding what the client was looking for and then being able to take what the client was looking for and translating that into something that they would want if they maybe didn't even know it was what they want. A lot of times, you know, the things that we get from clients, whether it be, you know, th th their problem and how they um, interpret their problem or how they even interpret what they think they need from a creative standpoint, we need to really fully understand that so that we can go back and give them what they really want. That's great. So I think being able to do that and being a champion for the creative early on, I think that they saw, I mean, again, this is what was fed back to me. So um, I did the unthinkable and again, kind of sent my resume out blindly on my own and I shot really high. I sent it to Fallon, Goodby, Wyden, TVWA and BBDO. And um, because again, I had the supermarket experience, BBDO Chicago had a, I was just talking to Tanise about this uh, recently and she, it, we realized that when I was interviewing there, she right. was, she was probably there, but they had a high-end supermarket in Chicago. Um, but I also, um, I got a call from Fallon um, because um, it just so happened that somebody who was working at Fallon, who was a senior person at Fallon was from Florida and knew that the agency that I was working at was the real deal and they had just won the United Airlines account. And so they were staffing up and they were staffing up big. And this was back in the days when agencies would actually fly like account executives up <laughs> and put them in a hotel <laughs> and feed them really well. Um, so I went to Chicago. Now there's Skype. Now there's Skype, exactly. Um, it was like, honestly, it was one of the, I hadn't really been on I hadn't really been on that many planes. It, I just, I just, I hadn't really been out of my little corner of the world. Um, so I went up and I got an offer from BBDO Chicago and I got the offer from Fallon. And at the time, Fallon was the premier agency. Um, they were doing the best work in the world. And um, I got offered a lot less than I did at BBDO Chicago, but I took the I took the Fallon job, and um, really that was the beginning of everything for me. Um, it's where I met David, and, David um, Lubars, David Lubars, and um, now worldwide chief creative, creative officer, officer for BBDO. BBDO, and I am still working with David today. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, that's great. So um, one of the things I think is really useful for people to hear yeah. is things that are sort of like tangible examples. And I love your, your, um, your point about how you were early on getting feedback yeah. where you were this, yeah. this bridge and you were able to translate what mm -hmm. the client's needs mm -hmm. were into the creative mm -hmm. language and then back again. Yeah. And I wonder if there's any, I don't know if you can remember any specific examples or anything popped to mind of like an early win where you're only, 
you know, a junior account executive, yeah. but you, you realize like, okay, now I see how this works. Well, I think, I don't know if I, ha I could probably think of some specific examples, but I think there's a real, I think there's really a bigger answer that as leaders, we have a responsibility and that is just to instill confidence and find those moments where you see that somebody is making an impact and making a difference and calling it out, being an advocate for them. Because the minute people have confidence, that's when they're going to perform at their best. And that's really what I think drives success for people, but it's hard to do it if you haven't had success. And I think I'm fortunate that I had those moments. I, I mean, I, I, I'm thinking of them now where, you know, a, a lot of it would come early on from creatives. Um, because I just, I don't know if this is the right, I, I think when, when you're starting out, you're a little bit less you haven't seen it all yet. You're a little less cynical. You're a little less jaded. You haven't sat in those top level client meetings for 10 years and heard everything that they don't want to do and they don't want to see. You're just able to see the work in its purest sense. And I sometimes still try to do that today. I try to get all that noise out of my head and really see the work and the idea um, in, in a way that if I can get all that noise out of my head, will this really be transformational for the business and see it from its purest sense? And then you can go back and kind of, you know, put all those filters in and all those inputs that you need. Um, so I don't know if that, if I've gone yeah. kind of a long way around the bus to answer your question, but I think, I think it's, you know, being a champion for the people, calling out those things that you see because, and it's, it's remembering that I wouldn't be sitting here if I didn't have people doing that for me. When I when I was younger, I love that. Um, I think I think it's the um, especially because of what you've become in your career yeah. as you've become yeah. known as this person who clients love because you're able to deliver the best creative work. And so it sounds like very early on yeah. you started realizing, hey, I have a I have a skill here yeah. that is actually what this is all about. It's not just about being a client person. It's not just about being a creative yeah. person. Well, I learned early on too in this, and you know, I came up in account management, obviously, that it's also about being an everything person. It's about understanding. I mean, I actually think one of the things that you have to do to do this job, yes, you have to be passionate. Yes, you have to have a lot of grit. Yes, you have to be able to bounce back. But really the biggest thing is you have to have a lot of empathy. And everybody, and everybody is dealing with their own set of challenges in their role that you might not be faced with every day. Our clients are dealing with things every day. They're under an enormous amount of pressure. And you may go in and you may have the toughest meeting um, of your career, but if you can just take a step back and you know, think about what they're dealing with. What did they just have to face? You know, did you know? Did they wake up and see that this, you know their, the 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 market was down and and it, it you know that it impacted you know their their business um, in a way that you know they were having to deal with that. Yeah, they're and, suddenly reading the news about yeah, their own business. You know, or yeah. you know, they've launched a new product and for whatever reasons, you know, it just hasn't taken hold. So. I think empathy is really, really important. And, you know, David used to say this, you know, early on at Fallon is that one of the ways that you succeed is by having respect for all disciplines. And um, and so I think it, it really is about being able to kind of listen and understand where everybody's coming from. Yeah, I love that. So I, would, I was hoping we'd have a second to just sort of pause and go deep on your experience at Fallon, because it sounds like that was really a formative period it too. Was, yeah. And just for everyone in the 
audience or listening yeah. later on, um, Fallon at that time was quite a different place than it is right now, and it's it's yeah. hard to even it's hard sort to of even explain it. It was a, explain it was a category it. of one at the time. It was, it was a magical yeah category yeah. of one, and yeah. there was so much work that was being yeah. done from BMW Films to United yeah. that was way outside yeah. of yeah. just the best work that was being yeah. done. It was it was really like a heyday yeah. for the agency. I mean, it, it's interesting because I've I've, I've been at four agencies. Um, I was at Fallon. I was at, um, from Fallon, I went to an agency called Cliff Freeman, which is not in business anymore. Um, but at the time, was also its own little kind of like, it, it was, it was also, does anybody stick, remember? It was the slapstick comedy agency. Does anybody remember Cliff Freeman? Okay, they were huge at the time. Um, and so I went from Fallon to Cliff Freeman to BBH to BBDO. That's really my story. Yes, I have the separate kind of Florida story, but that, that's really my story. And I always say that at Fallon, I learned all about creativity, the importance of creativity. And I do still think as BBDO, even in this ever-changing world, that is what makes us special because we do it better than anybody else. And creative, creativity is always going to be needed and it's always going to be a currency. It's always going to be something that can provide an economic multiplier, be an economic multiplier for our clients. Um, and for businesses. So I think even as much as everything is changing, what we do is still very special and unique. How we achieve it is very different and how you know we show up right. is very different, but that still is what makes us stand out. So I feel at Fallon, it was all, it's where I learned everything about creativity. At Cliff Freeman, I learned how to be tough. Um, I like to think that I was always tough, but it was um, a shark tank situation unlike anything right. I've ever seen. Um, and um, I didn't really want to leave Fallon, but I was getting married. And uh, my husband and my husband was in Chicago at an agency in Chicago. And we decided that um, I didn't want to go to Chicago. He didn't want to go to Minneapolis. So we decided to go to New York together. Um, I was going to go to the Fallon New York office, but it was a satellite office. And I had been at the mothership and I just, I didn't, I didn't want to I didn't want to do that. I wanted to try something new. And at the time, Cliff Freeman was um, was was really kind of the one that, that had had a big splash going on. Um, but it was an agency. I, I, I learned how to be tough because the type of agency that it was was that it was creativity for creativity's sake only. They were in business to do creativity for themselves, not for the clients and not for the business. As an account person, you were only there to keep the client almost out of the way. And I just wouldn't accept that. And um, I was like, I, we're not going to work this way. And I'm not going to work this way. So um, for 11 months, because that's that's all I was there, I, I fought against the establishment. I feel like I made an impact, but I also knew it was where, it was where I couldn't stay. Um, it's funny because for a long time, I struggled with um, the fact that I should have never I should have never left Fallon. And um, it ended up being, it was, at the time, it felt like the worst thing I had done, but it, um, it also ended up being the best thing I did because I, I don't think I would have had the growth. However, what I tell people at BVDO is, please, I, I, I always tell people, I feel at BVDO, because of our scale, um, not just here at BVDO New York, but across the network, the, the, the amount of offices that we have, the, um, the, the footprint that we have globally, um, we can really offer anybody anything they need. If you don't feel like you're getting it 
the opportunities that you need at BBDO, whether it be on an account, whether it be with the team members that you're working for. I just always encourage people to come talk to me because I believe that we can solve it. Not every agency has that ability. I believe that we do. So I just always like to say that out loud. <laughs> Even though the worst thing I did ended up being the best thing I did. Um, I, um, so I, I, I left, uh, so creativity, yeah. learned all about creativity. Was there a leader at Fallon who, was it David maybe? But was there a leader who you looked up to and said David. like, that's the right way to do this? It was, it was, it was David, but that was because David also, um, David became my advocate. Um, not because I, I reached out to David, not because, hey, I said, I want you to be my mentor and I want you to be my advocate. Um, you know, and this is also what I tell people, find those people that you want to be your advocate and then just impress the hell out of them and then they will become your advocate. But you do need an, when you're younger, you do need an influential advocate. Advocate. And that ended up being, um, being, being me with David. Um, so creativity at Fallon, toughness at, uh, at Cliff Freeman, and then smarts at BB, BBH. Um, because BBH and what BBH really stands for and their focus is on strategic river, rigor at all costs. Strategic results. rigor at the expense sometimes of creativity, um, you know, you know, oh, you know, really over intellectualizes everything. But, you know, there is a place for that. I just think there has to be it has to be balanced. It can't just be you, you also have to, you know, get to the creative part. But um, I spent, you know, a lot of time working under some very, very smart people who did teach me the importance of understanding clients' business, what that means in regards to getting to a strategic insight, what that means in regards to getting to a big, powerful idea, um, and also started to get um, a glimpse, because at this time I was more senior, into overseeing more kind of complex global accounts. Yeah. And so I, when, um, by the time I left BBH, I was head of account management, and um, Actually, no, I was head of account management, became head of new business, and then I came to VVDO, and I felt that VVDO had all of those components. <laughs> I did, okay, so within the first week. I was like, they, you had, knew. they had it all. It was like, yeah. it was like Creativity, uh, Goldilocks. Yeah, except for the you Shark Tank thing. Yeah, it, right? yeah. Um, uh, you mentioned earlier the jumping around and how yeah. that's, you yeah. didn't actually jump around that much. I, I, I didn't, and, um, and, I, and I'm glad I didn't. Because if I had, I wouldn't have the relationships that I have. And I think there's a lot about really, I think there's a huge benefit into, you know, putting in your time at a place and seeing how that can pay off. Because when it does pay off, it can really pay off well. You have the respect of all of those around you. You've built relationships that are built on trust and respect. You have people that you know are good at certain things that you might not be as good at. So you know the people that you can go find where you can just bounce things off or get their help. Um, when you go to a new place, it's it's all new and you don't know. And, and you have to prove yourself all over again. And yeah, there's some benefits to that sometimes, but if you can build up the equity within a certain place and people really kind of grow to value you and understand you and know what it is that you do that is a benefit to the organization, I think you should, if, if, it, if it feels like the right fit and you can have the kind of conversations that I was talking about earlier where it may come at a certain time that you don't feel like something's right for you, I, I do encourage people to, to, to try to work that out. Right. Um, because I can't tell you how many times people have left and I've gotten a call six months later mm -hmm. of, right. you were right, you were right. I shouldn't have left. I shouldn't have left. <laughs> the boomerang. And then I get like a certain little like, you know, kind of pleasure out <laughs> a of A little tingle. A little, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, I'm curious, so I asked a bunch of people mm. in the organization what they think has kind of been your hallmark, what's made you successful. Mm -hmm. But I'm curious first, before I tell you what they said, what you think has been your, you know, like what are the, mm -hmm. the traits that you have that have helped you along the way? Mm. Mm, I'm breaking. It's warm in here, by the way. Um, I think that I, that's interesting. Um, I, I think I, um, I like to think that I set a very clear vision um, for what it is that I think that we need to do. Um, from that vision, I probably break it down into, you know, different tactics of how we're going to achieve it. And then I trust the people to go do it. And I think I give people a lot of freedom to do their job on their own terms um, and don't expect it to always be exactly the way that I would do it. Um, I do have very high expectations. So when I give you freedom and you come back, um, you know, I, I do expect that, you know, that, that, that it's going to meet the expectations. Yeah. Um, and I think I prefer to maybe um, counsel or edit or, you know, kind of help shape, but I don't ever do it in a way that feels, you know, smothering. And I, and I, I find that when you do that and when you give people the freedom to kind of create their own story on their own terms and when you show that you believe in them, that, you know, nine times out of ten they rise to the occasion. Yeah. You know, and then if you see that some people might need a little bit more hand-holding, you, you, you do that. Right. Um, right. And you might have to course correct along the way sometimes. Right. Very, very, a very humble assessment, I would <laughs> say. Um, I, so I asked some of the, the senior leaders and some of your direct reports, mm -hmm. just, you know, some people that I've known mm -hmm. over the years. What, and here's what some of them said. This one, um, one person said right out of the gate, authenticity mm -hmm. is what makes Kirsten so successful. And that you take yourself, this person said, she's seriously talented but doesn't take herself seriously. Which, um, which I love. Another person said resilience. Um, she takes the toughest challenges head on, which is like running towards the toughest problems, which I think is something that, you know, when you read a lot of, uh, you know, business case studies yeah. and stuff, they always say people who rise up in their career are the mm -hmm. one who go for the toughest challenges. Yeah. Um, well, Andrew says learn to love your problems. So yeah. Very good advice. Another person said she makes everyone around her better, which I love. And then um, this one is my favorite. It says, uh, they shine, you glow. She surrounds herself with great people and then gives them the ownership and the credit when they do a great job. Oh, so I nice. love that. That's nice. That is nice. It's a little, you know. <laughs> <I> know. <laughs> you know. Um, if you read Sheryl Sandberg's book, she'll tell you that women don't like to be, you know, it's awkward like to, to be compl complimented. So, sorry yeah, sorry yeah, to anyway. make it so awkward yeah. to compliment no, okay. you. No, thank um, you. That's very nice. But thank you. So now I would love to kind of take that now, considering all your success, mm -hmm. all the great work you've been mm -hmm. a part of, mm -hmm. and let's give people some sort of tangible things, which mm -hmm. one of the things that I've learned as I've gone from being a creative director mm -hmm. to um, being involved in other aspects of the mm -hmm. agency is how you look at work, how you react to work. Mm -hmm. When you first see work from mm -hmm. creative people, or you first hear an idea, mm -hmm. do you have any, any tips or mm -hmm. tricks or suggestions for people um, that are you know, well, great ways that you can react uh, and improve? You know, it's ultimately about making the work better. Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you what I always try to do. Um, and I don't always do it, um, but I try to do what I always tell our clients to do is the first time you look at work, do you just like it? 
Do you like it in your gut? I think sometimes I do admittingly put a lot of other filters on it because I know that we have to win the meeting. I know that like that we can, you know, we can, we just need to go in there and we need to have a great meeting and we need to win them over. We have to make adjustments. We can do it afterward. That's a bad habit to get into. So, um, it can be successful, but it can, you, you really need to, I, so I, I really do try to catch myself. And before I go to all those other things about how is this client going to react to it? And is this really going to drive their business? And is it an, is it an idea that can work across all platforms and all channels? And can we present it in the, in the form of a, a really truly, um, you know, business building ecosystem? Um, is it something that I just like? And so I think so that it's a that's, gut. It's, it's a, a gut, gut. And, and, and often like, you know, and I find that when I do that and when I put all those other filters around it, it's because I usually didn't have that, that gut that feeling. really gut feeling. So I really try to just kind of take a step back and go, okay, I'm, I have a stack of work on my desk that I need to work or to read. And I just haven't had a chance because I've been doing a lot of things today, but just to have that moment where I can just pull myself away of all the things that I know are going on with the company and the brand and just do I like it. Um, and you know, I was just in a meeting this morning with a really tough client and I said the same thing to them. Please, just first, when we show you the work, when we show you the idea and the work, just let yourself kind of take a breath and say, did I like it? Did I like it in my gut? Mm. What, is there, I'm curious because you worked so closely over the years with Mars. Mm -hmm. Bruce has always been, mm -hmm. Bruce McCall, who's the retired CMO of, mm -hmm. of Mars, I always thought was an incredibly inspiring mm -hmm. partner. Yes. And yeah. what did, I'm just curious, what did you learn from working with him about how clients react to work when they're at their best? That. Um, do you like it? I mean, we have actually yeah. a Mars checklist of here are all the things that you should do when evaluating work. And the first one is, do I like it? I mean, you know, Bruce had a lot of other things around strategies of desire and, mm -hmm. you know, is it true to the archetype and is it true to the story that you need to tell through the lens of that archetype? But, um, but I will tell you in doing that, it was, you were able to bring a lot of focus to, to the client teams in regards to what they needed to do to evaluate it. I, I think sometimes what, what I learned from Bruce isn't maybe as important of what I learned from Bruce is what I th wished Bruce would teach other clients, <laughs> which is about <laughs> put your trust in the agency, right. let them do your job. They're the experts at what they do. Don't handcuff them. And I think that's why Mars has some of the best work in the industry because of the way they, they treat us. And again, that yeah. builds a lot of confidence. And when you have confidence, you do your best work. Yeah. So it, for those who haven't seen it, there's a great speech that Bruce McCall did with David Lubars last year at Cannes. And I think I'm pretty sure it's available on the CAN site or on YouTube. Yeah. Definitely worth watching because yeah. you get a very clear sense of why Mars was client of the year yeah. for with BBDO and why the partnership is so strong. I have a link and I can send it to oh, you great, and you can perfect. distribute. Yeah. We'll distribute it. Um, so with all that mm -hmm. experience in terms of so many great brands you've worked mm -hmm. on, I'm curious what is there one campaign or one uh, one piece of work mm -hmm. that you're most proud of? Yeah, easy. You know what it is. They don't. Oh, right. <laughs> Uh, you're not you and you're hungry, the Snickers campaign. Um, and, you know, there's so many reasons why I love that campaign. You know, um, uh, you know, it's been one of the most successful in the BBDO network. It turned the business around within weeks of us launching. It redefined how we um, worked with Mars. It 
instilled even more confidence in the relationship and allowed us to have the freedom to uh, do more things on other brands that we hadn't done. It's what ended up being um, it's it's it ended up being the push to um, uh, allow Mars to consolidate the majority of their business with BBDO. But I think really the interesting thing is when I joined BBDO, we were actually on the back foot with Mars at that time. That was right. 2006, and um, our sister agency TBWA was the one that was really in the in in the lead chair at the time. And when I joined, we had just lost Snickers, and we lost it to. Um, and we had lost it to TVWA. And um, I didn't know any of this, of course, when I was uh, uh, talking to BBDO. I thought everything was great. Um, but actually, we were on our back foot. And um, so I, I really needed to think very quickly about what were we going to do to get back in kind of the driver's seat with Marge and be in the, in the lead position. And, um, and so what we did, and I actually worked a lot with Jim during this time because we had the pet business out in Mars. And at, we had the same thing. TBWA had pedigree. And, you know, we just had a small, we had Caesar at the time, which was very small. And so we were kind of in the, in the back seat at the time. And so what we all did is we just decided that we, two things. Number one, we were going to do the absolute best job that we could on the brands that we had. We were, um, we were going to excel on those pieces of business. We were gonna be incredibly proactive on those pieces of business. We were gonna have meetings that, uh, about things they didn't even know that we were gonna have them about. And then what I spent a lot of time doing was identifying the white space. Where were the areas, um, where, were, where were their needs not being met by these people that were in the lead position? And um, very early on, I was able to identify that it was around true partnership and having a true relationship um, around really listening, kind of going back to that empathetic thing again, yeah. really listening. Where are, your, where are the, the areas where you're, where you're really having challenges when it comes to your business versus it just being about creativity for creativity's sake? What can we really do from a creative standpoint that is gonna drive your business and help us solve your problems? Not pushing on every single thing, not having every single thing be a fight just to win. And um, about a year in, we started to see the tide turn and um, they started to have some new innovations and we started to get some new businesses. And then um, globally in other markets, we did have Snickers. So they were doing the same thing that we were doing on the brands we had here in the US. They were really doubling down on Snickers in the, um, in the other in the other markets but ultimately by really being incredibly focused on what we had being incredibly proactive being great partners that were empathetic and listened we got snickers back in 2009 and it was a huge win for the for the agency snickers was really a part of our dna to not have it was really gutting for this agency and um and then we launched you're not you when you're hungry in the super bowl of 2010 and the rest is history so i'm proud of it because it was based off a of universal insight i think it's in something like 89 countries now i mean it's just you know it is it it accomplishes everything that you want to that you want to accomplish with a successful you know platform and campaign in many ways it's 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 so interesting now to just hear your whole story mm -hmm. and then the culmination with that piece of work not mm -hmm. that that's the end point but yeah. but your your most proud moment is so many things led, led to, to that yeah. and yeah. even the fact that um being able to be empathetic towards the client and i'm sure when they were talking about selling candy bars mm -hmm. to teenage boys mm -hmm. which is the target mm -hmm. audience that putting 
a uh, 80 year old woman, yeah. Betty White, on yeah. the Super Bowl probably wasn't the first thing they had in mind. No, it wasn't. In fact, we had really interesting conversations about they were really nervous about having Betty White tackled in the mud. And that's where our ability to really, I think, deliver on craft comes through. Um, because we had to tell them, like, you have to trust us that this is what we know how to do. We know how to execute. This is going to be executed flawlessly. Put us in, put it in our hands and we'll and we'll do it. We'll yeah. do it well. Um, we also won I over for, uh, I have another little secret. We won over procurement. Mm. Win over procurement. Procurement can be a very powerful friend if you win them over in the right way. Note to Note everyone. Note to everyone. <laughs> Linda's in the front row nodding. Yes. <laughs> right, Linda? Yeah. <laughs> Um, okay, so let's let's uh, turn to kind of broader industry topic mm -hmm. and the whole subject of gender yeah. in advertising. Yeah. Yeah. And I I would love I'm sure everyone would love to hear just your thoughts on mm -hmm. where this where this kind of has come from, how it's bubbled up, mm -hmm. and what you think about about the current state of yeah. of advertising you know, and women. Well, it's interesting because a lot of people ask me, like, you know, did you ever feel that it was harder for you because you were a woman? Did you ever feel that you faced situations where, you know, you didn't get to achieve what you wanted to achieve because you were a woman? And the truth is, I didn't, but I should have. And I know that now, that I know there were moments along the way that I just didn't recognize because we didn't talk about it. And now that we're talking about it, I can look back and I can go, oh yeah. So what I'm trying to do now is just drive awareness on those things that we, from an unconscious bias standpoint, can do and make sure that it's conscious and make sure that we're aware that we view women as dependable and we reward them off being dependable, but we, but we reward men off being ambitious. Um, that men are better negotiators than women are, um, that women keep their head down um, and don't always ask for it. So, you know, I try to make sure that we're calling out those things earlier and that we're recognizing those things earlier and that, you know, we're just, we're, we're having, um, you know, a lot of conversations around it. I think the pivotal moment in all of it, and maybe I think this because it was for me, was Lean In by Sheryl Sandberg. Um, I never really thought about this much at all. Um, and when I read that book, it was a huge eye-opener for me because I was like, oh, I do that, I do that. Oh my gosh, I do that. Wow, I do that. And I, I didn't know that I was. And What's an example of that? It was just in, for anyone who has Believe it or not, one of the biggest examples, uh, people don't believe it when I say this, but if I was in a room and it was all men sitting around the table, I would lean back a little bit. And I would only speak when I felt like I had something really, really smart to say and where I was really adding value, where men kind of just talk and talk over each other and talk. And so the loudest voice in the room is the one that wins. And, um, and I immediately went to Andrew and talked to him about that. And, um, and I told him, and he was so shocked. He was like, if you feel that way. <laughs> um, and so we, we recognize She's it. She's very we, vocal. And we, yeah, and we also make sure that we don't just have one woman sitting at the table. In fact, I am extremely proud because we've put forward a very ambitious, um, uh, a, you know, Andrew set the goal last year of um, doubling our creative leadership in the, um, senior creative leadership in the creative department, which we have done. Um, we have gender parity across the agency from a, 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 a female standpoint, but we didn't at the most, 
you know, at the, at the executive levels now, our senior management team is actually skews more female than it does male. We have a female CMO, we have a female CSO, um, the person, the woman that heads up our marketing, marketing science department is a woman. Um, we have more e female ECDs than we have in the past. Um, so, but as Andrew and I've talked about, it just can't be about the numbers. Um, we have to also make sure that we're behaving in a way that nobody feels that they're in a environment that feels, you know, like they can't be their best. That they can't be their the best, yeah, right. their best right. version of self. So, um, oh. so we're we, we're spending, you know, a lot of time on that. And right. I'm, you know, our our, you know, all the way up to Andrew are, are um, you know, real champions of this as well. Yeah, and one of the things I think that we're all trying to figure out. I'm curious mm -hmm. your thoughts is the creative piece of it. Because when we look at the data, mm. you know, and we looked at the data across BBDO North mm -hmm. America mm -hmm. with um, Jeff mm -hmm. and David and Andrew, mm -hmm. and um, so this is for our office in mm -hmm. San Francisco mm -hmm. as well, that um, broadly we were actually skewing more heavily female, but severely different in the creative department. Mm -hmm. I'm just curious yeah. if you have any thoughts on why that is. Well, we uh, dug really deep into that because also we couldn't understand it. And so we did, we did focus groups internally. And um, what happened to me during these focus groups is a lot of the things that the women were talking about, the, the female creatives were talking about, were, weren't that different than issues that I have. You know, traveling, um, having to be available 24-7. Um, you know, you might be on shoots, I might be at a worldwide meeting and, you know, such and such. And, and especially like as I came up, I was on shoots and, and you know, the pressure of kind of having to be accessible 24-7 and those sort of things. So a lot of the things that they were struggling with, I couldn't understand, like, why do we... I, I, a lot why of these things are very the similar, department? and so why is it different in the creative department? And we had this epiphany um, that I, 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 we we think we may have landed on something is that we do very rigorous career pathing in account management and in other departments. So if you start out as an AAE at BBDO or probably any other agency, you know exactly what you have to do to get to account management. Then you know exactly what you have to accomplish to get to account supervisor and so on and so on, all the way to the top of the pyramid. Um, it's, it's more subjective in the creative department. And if you have a department that already skews very male, are they going to gravitate towards the humor of those people that they're hanging out with more? Are they going to pull the people into their groups that are more like them? Are they going to assign the people that they think are more like them to the kind of plush assignments? Are they gonna to start to put the women on the more female brands? And we thought that might be what's happening. So what we've done is we've implemented a very rigorous review process in the creative department. We've put very detailed job descriptions around what you need to do to be a copywriter, a senior copywriter, all the way up to ECD, the qualities that you have to possess. Yes, you have to also be able to, your output has to be strong. But we've tried to take some of the subjectivity out of it. And we've just started this process, um, but we're interesting to see you know, what the results will be. And, and, and at least it's a start um, to kind of try to eliminate that kind of rewarding the like me aspect right, right, of it. Right, That's great. That's really um, yeah. thoughtful. Yeah. Um, okay, so uh, as kind of an adjunct to that, one of the things that as I was 
doing my digging on yeah. you. Someone said, which I thought was a, per, a beautiful encapsulation of who you are as I've known you. Someone said, she refuses to not be heard, mm. which I love. And I, so one of the things I think that we, um, we see in advertising in general, it's probably true in every business, but we just mm -hmm. know our business. Yeah is when young people come out of school, mm -hmm. they have to find their voice. Mm -hmm. And advertising is not something where you instantly know like mm -hmm. the solution to the problem. Mm -hmm. You know, if you were a, I don't know, a computer coder yeah. or something yeah. where yeah. you say, okay, I know the answer to that one. You have to sort of develop your voice. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious if you have any advice for people on how to do that. Well, I think it's, I think to find your voice, you first have to impress. Um, because nobody's gonna really want to hear your voice if you don't first impress. And so what I always encourage the people coming up to do is to find those opportunities where you can go above and beyond. Um, find, you know, if you know that something big is going on on a certain account, go to your boss and say, I'd really like to help on that presentation, but don't just type the presentation out. Go find articles that you think will really help kind of prop up the story that you're telling. Find videos that will help support the story. Go find a new technology that you think would be really interesting to support the idea. Like really go above and beyond. If you do that, you'll get your voice. Hmm, because they great. will now want you by their side and they'll want to hear what you have to say, even if you didn't say it, but demonstrated it. Right. I love that. That's one of those, uh, especially, mm -hmm. you know, it, so it's not about, it's not about Being asking for a voice. A no, no, you have to earn that and you do it by going above and beyond and by impressing. And, and anybody can find those opportunities. They can. That's because great. Because they, they exist. That's great. Uh, great advice. Um, okay, a couple of practical mm -hmm. habits questions, mm -hmm. because I think one of the things that is, um, is wonderful about our business yeah. is we're so tied into culture and what's yeah. happening in the world. Yeah. What do you do to stay connected to what's happening in the world and stay on top of culture and music? And you know, what do you consume? What are your daily daily yeah. habits of just like well, I don't have a, I don't what have a media? Lot of, I don't have a lot of time for that. Um, <laughs> um, I mean, just the news feed on my phone in the morning gives me a lot of things. No, uh, Crystal Ricks, our CSO, um, gave me a really you know, good tip a couple years ago. And I don't know if you guys know Crystal Ricks, but she actually started it. Uh, at BBDO, BBDO San Francisco, San Francisco. As, a, as an intern in the planning yeah, department. She's amazing. But she said, you know, always like kind of set aside, the even if you have to come in earlier, kind of give yourself some time, set aside 30 minutes, even to an hour just to read and go to places that, you know, you think you're going to learn you know, something new and something interesting. And look, I may start with some of the traditional publications in the morning around what are the headlines in Ad Age and Ad Week, only because I think from an industry standpoint, it is important to see like what's going on, what's going on with our competition. You know, also the other traditional places like the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal, because I think it's important, especially from the Wall Street Journal standpoint, to understand what's going on in business. You know, we have some of the biggest brands in the world working at BBDO, so it's important that we always know even to how the market's doing that morning, because that's going to impact impact our clients. Um, you know, I'm influenced very heavily by my kids. I have teenagers now, so they often tell me the places and spaces that I'm supposed to be. Um, so whether it be, I think it's, you know, from a cultural standpoint, it is important to know what are the top shows that are happening right now, because those often impact how we're communicating things, because it all kind of starts to take on, you know, uh, whether it be from a tone or a humor, what is kind of popular right now. It all changes so much on an yeah. everyday basis. 
Um, but also, you know, I also try to find those places to go to, whether it might be, you know, the LinkedIn articles that pop up all day. There's, I, I find that to be an, an interesting resource from an educational standpoint. I'm, for a long time, I felt like I had to really educate myself because I didn't grow up in the world that the generation before us is, is, is growing up. And I think we always do have to constantly educate ourselves. I don't think that we exist in a world anymore where the people who come into our business will just respect you because you're their boss. You have to always be inspiring them. They do need to feel like they're learning from you. They do need, they can never, they will be uninspired if they feel like they know more than you and if they're educating you. So I think we have to work extra hard right. to kind of know what's going on. I will admit, I, I still have a hard time with Snapchat. I still find it, <laughs> but I am on it because my kids are on it. Um, you know, it's just all the things that you have to like draw on there and everything. Um, but you know, always kind of trying to, but now it's not even like, I think like we understand the fundamentals, right? Yeah. It just changes every day. Yeah. Every day it changes. Yeah. So just constantly making sure that you're, you know, yeah. Very helpful. It's yeah. like a, it's constant grazing. Constant grazing. Across a constant broad grazing. range yes. of inputs yes. of media yes. and sources. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So you mentioned the kids. Yes. And um, I'm, I'm always fascinated by the balance in mm. work and life. Mm -hmm. work, you know, we used to say there's a work-life balance. Personally, yeah. I don't no, think there is a work-life yeah. balance yeah. anymore. No. I think. Yeah. Your work is your life, and yeah. and because of the devices in our hands, and because of mm -hmm. you know email and texting and everything else, the question becomes how do you navigate that mm -hmm. so that you have two terrific kids mm -hmm. and a, a great marriage, yeah. and you know how does that all how does that all work? Well, I do think that it is it is one of the hardest parts about my job. Being a mom is one of the hardest parts about my job, um, especially as your kids get older. And you probably know this as your kids get older. They need you in an, an entirely different way than they did when, when they were younger. And for those of you who have teenagers, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. Um, and you know, one of the things that Cheryl talked about in Lean In um, early on was about the 50-50. Find a good partner. Make sure you have the 50-50. And she had, she had kids younger at the time, too, when she wrote that book. So she said, you know, learn to let go. You know, you don't have to control everything. Learn to let go. Like, they might not pack the lunchbox the way you want them to pack the lunchbox. That's okay. Those things are easy to let go of. But when your kids need you emotionally, um, when they want you at their events, because if you're not sitting in the stands or if you're not there to cheer them on, they feel... You know, right. that, that's, that's harder from a 50-50 standpoint. Right. Um, and so I'm, I'm just entering that phase and I'm trying to figure it out. And I don't have it completely figured out yet. I know that I, I have to. And I think what I'm just going, the, the conversations that I've been having with my kids is that, um, you know, I love what I do. And um, I also love my family. Um, but being able to do something that I love actually helps us be a very happy family and there's just going to be sometimes that I won't be able to be there but I am there right and, they, they feed each other you know, but there and, will be some yeah. conflict and so far we're you know we're just having the conversations and it's never going to be perfect and you know it's interesting because there were some articles kind of when this whole movement started about as women we can never have it all but I also know that it may look on paper that the men have it all, but they don't have it all either because they're missing a lot of things too. And I didn't really realize that for a long time. And that's where, again, empathy has come in where, um, 
you know, just because you have a stay-at-home mom doesn't mean that that's any easier just because now I can work until 12 o'clock at night. They're missing things. Right. And um, look, that's that's the reality of life and that's the reality of needing to, you know, right. have a livelihood. Yeah. Um, Do you so guys you just, I kind of take it one day at a time right now. Right. Do you have any uh, very kind of practical things that you do, like some people, I know uh, Matt Miller has a thing. When he comes home, he puts his phone in a basket, and every and his wife, you know, like everybody, the phones go in a basket. They're off the table. They're um, out of the hand. Well, our kids have been at summer camp for seven weeks, and they're technology free. So we're we have not implemented that. But my daughter actually just told me at camp that she wants to do that because mm. she's like realized like how ama- how wonderful it's been in disconnecting. And we do we do need to do that. We do need to do that more. We've actually been talking about that. We try to have dinner t- when we have dinner together. We have dinner together so that we can talk and put your devices away. No devices are ever allowed at the table. Yeah. Um, that's great. Yeah. That's yeah. That's a perfect, you know, yeah. little tip. Yes. Um, and I know from speaking with uh, one of my inside sources, Barry, your husband, <laughs> um, he said that oftentimes you'll get back on the phone with you know someone from the office, and he'll think, who is she talking to that she's laughing so hard? And then he'll say, oh, she's talking to so and so from the office. But he said, you know, you, you obviously love it so much that yeah. it doesn't matter that it's eleven o'clock. That's what night. he always says. He's like, your business calls are never really business calls, <laughs> like, which That's is true. one of the benefits of staying in a place for so long. True. Right. True. Well, yeah. Barry also said, my admiration for her has only grown over time, which is so sweet oh. because I think a lot of, especially in advertising, but yeah. in, in life, a lot of times over yeah. the grind of just like making life yeah. happen, yeah. marriages go through compromises. And so he just oh, is, he's spectacular. Um, all right. Well, so Kirsten, thank you so much. I think um, for me, what I love about these conversations, honestly, even interviewing mm-hmm. You know, people like mm-hmm. Ella, Silla, and yourself. Mm-hmm. I learn so much from these conversations, which, which selfishly is just fantastic. And so, some of the things that I took away from this conversation, um, which I I am going to try next time I'm in a meeting, mm-hmm. is the the whole idea of being new again in a meeting, like mm-hmm. being your being your younger self. Mm-hmm. You haven't mm-hmm. heard this conversation before, mm-hmm. and being able to to come at it with an empathy, mm-hmm. as you put mm-hmm. it, mm-hmm. to really understand clients. I love that. Um, I really loved your point about the importance of career relationships, mm-hmm. how obviously we're in the relationship business with our clients, mm-hmm. but there's also a whole other world that doesn't get talked about, mm-hmm. which is the relationships and the chemistry you develop with your team mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and how important that is for your career. Right. So yeah. the importance of, of building those mm-hmm. relationships and really understanding them really well. Mm-hmm. I love. And, um, and then the other thing you said that I think is amazing is the idea of just doing a brilliant job on the project on your desk right now. If you want to get a voice, yeah. go above and beyond mm-hmm. on the toughest project mm-hmm. in the office mm-hmm. and you'll excel. Yeah. So my um, title for when you write your autobiography, I yeah. think it's going to have to be called From the Top of the Pyramid to the Top of the Pyramid, <laughs> Life and Advertising. From Cheerleader to Advertising President. Ah, uh, there you go. That's a really um, good- well, so everybody, um, I'm sure everyone is clapping mm-hmm. hysterically. Yes, yes. We just can't hear you. Um, I just, I want to say one thing. Um, I want to thank you. Um, I've, I've enjoyed doing this, even though I can't hear any of you. But I just want to tell you how lucky I think all of you are to have 
Jim Lesser. And, um, you know, I've had the privilege of working with Jim from day one when I joined BVDO. Um, I think that you are an incredible leader and an incredible partner. Maybe one day I can interview you. So um, I think, you know, part of why I love BVDO is that I get to work with people like Jim. And I was thinking about what you said about um, Barry and those phone calls. He and I can be on an 11 o'clock phone call about something that is you know, really not going well, because you usually don't talk that late unless it's something about that. But we will have fun somehow talking about it. And, um, and so, yeah, I think that's also why those career relationships are so important, because they help you really enjoy your job. And we are in a tough business, and it's tougher than it's ever been right now. And the pressures on us are different than they've ever been. And so to be able to really enjoy who you're working with and and, and value them is, I think you can't even put a number on that. So, yeah. Awesome. So, well, I think we'll right. end on that. Yes. All right. Thank you.